The seminar is titled How to Receive Divine Healing Be Enriched as You Listen. So, the last Sunday of each month, what happens? We do our Supernatural Sunday. Our goal is to keep reminding us uh, that our God is still alive. Amen? That we serve a living God. We serve a God who is interested in working in our lives, in our circumstances. We serve a God who is still healing, who is still delivering, who is still working miracles. Amen? And so we want to remind ourselves time and time again. Otherwise, we tend to forget. We are so caught up with all the things that we have to do, we forget that God is a miracle-working God, that we can invite Him to work in our lives. Now, over the last several months, we, I've intentionally been talking about how to receive divine healing. And we are been doing this a little at a time, just focusing about a few different ways on how to receive divine healing. Uh, this will be the conclusion of what we've been talking about over the last several months. And I want to touch upon specifically three ways, three additional ways by which we can receive divine healing. I'm going to quickly review what we have seen in previous months. You know, God administers His healing through many different ways. There are many different ways through which God releases His healing to us. And we need to be cognizant of that, be open to, uh, you know, any which way through which God administered to us. Sometimes He works in a combination of these ways, and we should be open. So I'm just going to quickly review some of the things we mentioned in the past, and we're going to focus on the last three this morning. So number one, we said God, uh, we receive healing through His Word and personal faith. Number two, through the quickening of His indwelling spirit. Number three, through the power of His life in you, the Zoe life of God. Number four, to the receiving the prayer of faith in Jesus' name. Number five, to the prayer of agreement in faith. Number six, to the healing anointing, to the laying on of hands. And number seven, through a word of command spoken over us in faith. Number eight, to the partaking in the Lord's table in faith. Number nine, through the ministry of deliverance. Ten, to the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. 11, through the manifestation of His healing presence. 12, through the sovereign work of His glory. And today we're going to look at the last three ways in which we can receive healing. 13, through releasing forgiveness to others. 14, through receiving emotional healing and inner wholeness. 15, through renouncing and breaking of generational curses. So the last three we're going to focus on these three today. The uh, three ways to receive healing through releasing forgiveness to others, through receiving emotional healing and inner wholeness, and through renouncing and breaking of generational curses. So let's talk about the first one here, through releasing forgiveness to others. We're going to start with Mark chapter 11, verses 22 to 26. Mark 11, 22 to 26. Jesus said to them, have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, verse 24, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now, we are familiar with this passage. We've, we've looked at it many times, and we keep coming back to it, because in, these, in this passage, Jesus is teaching us about faith and what faith in God can do. He tells us, if you have faith, you can speak to the mountain, tell the mountain to move, the mountain will move. Or when you pray, you believe that you receive, and you will have. You'll receive it. But then he continues to teach us that as we are exercising faith, here's something very important. He says, when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. So we must keep that in mind. And let me, let's put it like this. 
unforgiveness becomes a roadblock to the exercise of our faith. So we have faith in God. We believe that God can move mountains. We believe that God can answer prayer. But if there is unforgiveness in our hearts towards somebody, if you're not forgiven them, if you have unforgiveness, then it hinders the operation of our faith. It hinders us from seeing the mountain moved or receiving from God. Now, I'm not saying that's the only reason. I'm just pointing out what he mentioned here. He said, when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. Now, we all know that the reason God forgives us our sins is because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. But notice here, Jesus predicates us receiving forgiveness on us releasing forgiveness. He says, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your heavenly Father can forgive you your trespasses. Now, how do we understand both of these things? Jesus paid for my sins, so I'm forgiven because he paid for our sins. And yet now Jesus is saying, unless you forgive, you won't be forgiven. So what's right? Well, we have to understand it like this. There is a blessedness that comes by being a forgiven person, by being forgiven. The psalmist said, blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven, whose transgressions are covered. That means when you're forgiven, there is the blessing that accompanies the forgiveness that you receive. Our forgiveness was purchased for us on Calvary's cross. So when you believe in what Jesus did, your sins are forgiven. But if I don't forgive somebody, then the blessing that accompanies being forgiven is going to be hindered. Are you with me? That's why he says, only when you forgive can your heavenly Father forgive you. That means that fullness of that forgiveness, the blessings that accompany the blessedness of being forgiven comes as we forgive people. If I hold, hold unforgiveness in my heart, it stops, it hinders the flow of the fullness of his blessings that accompanies being forgiven through the cross of Jesus Christ. Is it clear with that for us? Now, James, the half-brother of Jesus, in his epistle, he elaborates on this. In James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, here's what James says. He says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So this, he's dealing with healing. How should the church experience healing? So he says, is anyone sick among you? Here's one thing you can do. Call for the elders of the church. Let them come and pray for you. Let them anoint you with oil. Pray for you in the name of the Lord. And healing will come. But he continues with one more aspect. He says, verse 16, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be so he's still talking about healing. But he's talking about some, another important aspect. That means, if I have wronged somebody, I've done something hurtful, I've hurt somebody, I've wronged somebody, what's my responsibility? I must go and tell him, hey, I'm sorry. I did something wrong. Or maybe I said something wrong, or I did something wrong. Confess your faults to one another. I did something wrong. I, I, I'm at fault. So I come and tell you, I am at fault. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Confess your faults. And then what do you do? You pray for one another. Pray. So that you may be healed. 
So sometimes, I'm not saying all the time, I'm saying sometimes, the unforgiveness that we have in our hearts could be a roadblock to the healing or to the work of God that we are desiring to see take place in our lives. Are you with me? Because the Bible is teaching us, confess your faults, confess your trespasses, your wrongdoings, go and confess it and pray, and you'll be healed. Now, obviously, the question that would come is, I'm willing to forgive the person, but what if he's not willing to forgive me, you know? Well, at least do your parts. We have no control on what the other person's action or reaction can be, but at least from my side, I can say, God, I want to keep my heart clean. I forgive that person. I'm not going to keep a record of the wrong that was done against me or done to me. I'm, not, I'm erasing the slate clean. At least I can keep my heart. Now that person may not forgive me or I may not get an opportunity to go and pray with that person. That's okay. But the thing is this. When I pray, Jesus said, when you pray, if you have anything against anyone, forgive. So that your heavenly Father can forgive you your I think one case in point is that of Job. The book of Job, although it has 42 chapters, sometimes when you read 42 chapters, you think, man, it took 42 years. <laughs> Actually, the book of Job is a record of what took place in one year in Job's life. That's it. Now, you read 42 chapters, they, they, they talked a lot, they spoke a lot. It's all about the conversation, but it took place in a year in Job's life. So what happened in Job's life? Suddenly, I mean, things were going good. Job was a righteous man. He was living right. He was living honorably before God. But suddenly, calamity after calamity began to come on his life. Things were just started kind of going wrong. He lost his livestock, his property things on his property was damaged and finally his own children uh, his own family were affected and then his own body all of a sudden so you can imagine Job said, God I am living right I'm doing everything right and why is all this happening so four of Job's friends they see his Instagram post and they decide we need to go to Job right now and help him out. So they all land up at Job's place. Job, we are here to help you. Now, as so basically, the chapter 4 on through chapter 40 is a narrative of all that conversation that's going on between these four friends and Job. And Job's trying to understand what's going on, and they're adding to that confusion, and Job's completely troubled. He doesn't know what's happening. But three of them, three of these friends who came, what they did was they essentially, to summarize what they said, they essentially accused Job. Said, Job, you have sinned. You've done something wrong before God. And God is judging you for your sin. Essentially, that's what they said. Now, you can imagine if your friends came to you and you're going through all this trouble in life and your friends come to you and they sit down and tell you, you're at fault, you're at fault, you're at fault, and God is judging you. I don't know what's be going on. Your temperature must be going up. <laughs> Getting angry. Well, what are these guys telling me? Now, and Job, in all of his confusion, he also says things that he actually doesn't understand. So when you come to chapter 42, the first six verses, God rebukes Job. Who is this one who's talking all these things? And Job, in Job chapter 2, chapter 42, verse 6, he repents before God. He says, God, I am sorry. I spoke things I should not have spoken. I don't understand what's going on. He repents before God. And God says, okay, God forgives. But then see what happens in the next few verses. Job 42, verses 7 to 10. 
And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept them, lest I deal with you according to your folly. Because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. See what's happening. God is orchestrating a reconciliation. These three friends who have been accusing Job, God says, I want you to do something. I want you to take a burnt offering. Now, a burnt offering is an offering that you bring to receive forgiveness for your sins. That's what you do. We understand that from the book of Leviticus when God instituted that as part of the tabernacle. He said, if you want your sins forgiven, you bring a burnt offering. So he says, you take a burnt offering, go to Job. And Job will pray for you. Now think about this. Your friends, I mean not your friends, your supposedly friends who've been accusing you are now coming with a burnt offering. Saying, please pray for us. I'm like, man, if anything I want to do, I don't want to pray for you. You've been accusing me. You've been telling me God is judging me. You've been telling me I have sinned. I have secret sins and all these things. And now you're saying, pray for me. I don't know what Job felt. And I'm just using my imagination. So join me in your imagination. How would you have felt? If your friends were accusing you, you were going through a very tough time in life and your friends have come and they were all only accusing you. How would you have felt? You have felt angry. You have felt hurt. And now, God is telling you to pray for them. What are you going to pray? God, send fire and brimstone. Lay it on them, God. Fire from heaven. No. What are you going to pray? You're going to pray mercy. You're going to pray blessing. So try to imagine this. Job has to pray for his three friends who've been accusing him and pointing fingers at him. But the Bible says something happened. That when Job prayed for his friends, the Lord began a restoration and he began a double portion work in Job's life. I don't know how Job must have felt when praying for those friends. But he prayed. And when he prayed, the Bible says, and the Lord restored and the Lord gave him twice as much as he had when he prayed for his friends. So it shows us the power of forgiveness. Not holding anything against those people, those same people who accused you. Not holding anything against them. Just forgive. So here's a very important way to receive healing. A very important way to see God break through in your life. And that is to release forgiveness. To pray blessing over people uh, you know, who may have trespassed against you, may have wronged you, you forgive. Because unforgiveness becomes a roadblock to your faith and to the blessing of God in your life. Are you with me? Sometimes we need to forgive people who've wronged us. I'm not saying sometimes, all the time, but... I meant, I said sometimes because sometimes we not forgiven. And we've kept that 
unforgiveness. We've held on to it. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a colleague in the workplace. Somebody who trespassed against you, did wrong to you, and you haven't forgiven. Understand that unforgiveness becomes a roadblock. So the quickest, the best thing to do is to quickly forgive and ask God for the grace to release forgiveness. The next thing that we want to talk about is receiving healing through receiving emotional healing and inner wholeness. As as human beings, we understand that we are tripart beings. We are spirit, soul, and body. And sometimes we, uh, we talk about these in very distinct terms, as though they are, and we compartmentalize these, spirit, soul, body. But actually, these are so tightly integrated and so tightly interconnected, our spirit, soul, and body. And the Bible reveals it to us, and many of us, uh, many who are psychologists and others will, will recognize that if you're not doing well in your soul, that can manifest as symptoms in the body, physical problems. And so in order to experience healing in the body, sometimes, I'm not saying all the time, but sometimes we've got to first deal with the soul. What's going on inside? Let's look at a few scriptures. And this is a big subject that we can definitely study in great detail. But let's just look at a couple of verses. In Hebrews 12, 14 to 15, here's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So pursue peace with all people. Be in harmony with people. And holiness before God. So we've got to walk in harmony and holiness. Then verse 15. Look carefully. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this many become defiled. So he says walk in harmony with peace with people, walk in holiness before God, and then be careful you don't come short of the grace of God. I mean, there is unlimited grace. But even though there is unlimited grace, there are things that can deprive, that can cause you and me to fall short of the grace. That means we're not experiencing God's empowering grace. Grace is there. It's not that God does not, is not extending grace. There is abundance of grace, but we are falling short of that grace. We're not stepping into that grace. What are those things that can keep us from the grace of God, from the experience of God's wonderful grace? He mentions one thing. He says, look carefully. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble so be careful don't let bitterness spring up inside you because it's only going to cause you trouble see bitterness troubles whom the person who's bitter now he does say it will also affect others so obviously the person who's bitter spreads the bitterness but the first person who's going to be affected by bitterness is a person who's bitter himself. So just be careful. Because if you are bitter, you're carrying bitterness, it's going to cause you to fall short of the grace of God. There is abundance, abundance of grace, but you're not experiencing it. You're not stepping into it. You're not enjoying the grace. Why? That bitterness inside you, troubling you. Sometimes we can be bitter towards God. Because so many bad things happen. God, why did you let this happen? Or why did he not do the good things I was expecting? You can get bitter with God. Sometimes you can get bitter with people. People have wronged you. People have hurt you. You get bitter. But he says, be careful. Don't let it happen. 
because that bitterness causes us to fall short of the grace of God. And it only troubles us. Are you understand? God, be careful. Now, bitterness is only one of the many emotional things that can go wrong. There could be other things. It could be anger, jealousy, hate. All of these are interconnected. You know, we go through difficult situations and it, these things get a grip of us, grip off us inside. But it then troubles us. It manifests. It can be symptomatic with physical conditions. So what should we do? Deal with the root. Deal with the thing inside. So that we can experience something in our lives. There's two scriptures from Proverbs that bear this out further. In Proverbs 17 verse 22. Let's read it out loud please. Let's read it. A merry heart does good like medicine. But a broken spirit dries the bones. Merry heart, you're cheerful, happy, keep a smile on your face. A smile is my style. Keep it on, you know. A merry heart, it does good like medicine. But if you're crushed inside, it's like the bones drying up affects our health. You know, the Passion Translation, a Passion Translation is not a literal word-to-word -word translation, but it, it's, a, it's a meaning, it's a it's a. It brings out the meaning of that verse. It puts it in modern English like this. A joyful, cheerful heart brings healing to both body and soul. But the one whose heart is crushed struggles with sickness and depression. That's a passion translation. Proverbs 18, verse 14. Let's read this together, please. Let's read it out. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness. But who can bear a broken spirit? Message Bible renders this verse, a healthy spirit conquers adversity. But what can you do when your spirit is crushed? The Passion Translation renders this verse, the will to live sustains you when you're sick, but depression crushes courage and leaves you unable to cope. So it talks about how being whole on the inside, being strong on the inside, is going to help you deal with physical challenges or circumstances. It's going to help you deal with that. Now, it's quite possible that there are people sitting here and in our hearts we are broken because of what we've gone through in life. But the good news is, God heals. The broken hearted. In Isaiah 61 verse 1 from the Old Testament that Jesus quoted, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And one of the things he's anointed me to do is to heal the broken hearted. So if you're broken on the inside, crushed, heart on the inside, for whatever, you know, people may have abused you, people may have hurt you, People may have wronged you or there's circumstances and situations that have left you like that. The good news is God heals the broken heart. And when you receive that healing in your heart, it can manifest by healing in your body. That physical condition will also be dealt with. You with me so far? The last one we want to look at is receiving healing to the renouncing and breaking of generational curses. Now, this whole teaching on generational curses has, you know, depending on which part of the body of Christ you kind of move around with, uh, you can tend to hear a lot about it in some, some circles. And sometimes it's just carried to an extent that as though every problem is because of a generational curse. You have a headache, oh, it's a generational curse. You sneeze, oh, it's a generational curse. I mean, that, that's just pushing it too far. So we need to understand this, and actually it's very simple. We need to understand it, and then understand what God has provided as an antidote, as a remedy 
to this. We're not living in the fear or in subjection to these generational curses. But we need to understand that there is a remedy, there's a redemption that God has already provided for us in Christ. So we want to understand it, and I want to explain it very simply, very briefly, and we're going to then pray. The first thing I want us to understand is that not every problem in life is because of a generational curse. Now sometimes you listen to people, it seems like every problem is a generational curse. It's not. A case in point is John chapter 9. You read the first few verses in John chapter 9. Jesus and his disciples, as they were passing by one day, John chapter 9 verse 1, they saw a man who was born, was blind from birth. Verse 2, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. So it sounds like they just attended a generational curse conference. They've just come out of that conference. So for them, everything is somebody's sin or their ancestors sinned. You know? So they're asking Jesus, Lord, why is this man blind? Did he sin? Or his parents the implication is they could have taken it to the grandparents or maybe gone further up, you know. But that's their thought process. That's how they're thinking. Who sinned? He sinned or did his parents sin? See, that's the generational curse question. Jesus' response is so remarkable. What did he say? He said, verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. What is Jesus' response? He said, this man didn't sin, nor his parents. So you want to break it down? It's in this case, it's not about sin. He, he, it's not a big sinner that caused him to become blind. And neither is it a generational thing. It's not about him or his parents. So keep in mind, not every problem is a generational curse problem. In this, as Jesus explains, it's not him, it's not his parents. And neither is it a sin, directly a sin issue. Yes, in general, we know sickness came into this world after the fall. But in this man's case, it's not some big sin that God is punishing him. That's why he's blind. It's not because of that. But what does Jesus say? Neither this man sinned nor his parents, but that I might work the works of God. In other words, look, don't worry about the problem. Let's go after the solution. What is the solution? Do the work of God. Work a miracle for him. Get him to see. That's how we must be looking at the problems around us. Are you with me? Follow Jesus. You will be safe. You won't go wrong. In other words, don't blame every problem as somebody's sin. Oh, you sin. That's why you're going through this problem. No, no, no. And don't blame every problem as a generational curse. Maybe your parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. No. Don't worry about that. Look at the solution. What is it? We must work the works of God. We must do what God wants done in this situation. Do it now because now is light. There will come a time you won't get to do these things. Right now, work the works of God. Are you understanding? Some of you are nodding. Some of you are thinking about nodding. <laughs> and some of you are not nodding. <laughs> All right. Are you understanding? Thank you. All right. So, don't, in every, when people are going through problems, don't say it's their sin. So maybe not be their sin. They'll be living a righteous life like Job. Or this man, we don't know. Don't say it's a generational curse. Don't. 
but work the works of God. Do what God wants done in that situation. You with me? Now, I'm almost going to contradict myself right now because let's try to understand what is this thing called generational curse and then also just talk about the redemption that God has already provided for us, right? So let's go to the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20, where we read about what this generational curse is all about. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, as part of the Ten Commandments, this is the third commandment, God says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, and showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me, and keep my commandments. So this is the third commandment. God says, don't worship any false god, don't serve any false god. If you do that, that sin is going to have its repercussions up to four generations after you. So what does sin do? Sin opens the door. Sin opens the door to sin, Satan, and death. And the effect of that sin is going to last four generations. So that's what people talk about as a generational curse. Now, Look at the big picture. Adam sinned long time ago. But the entire human generation, all human generations have, are facing the repercussions of that sin. One man sinned. Sin came into this world, death by sin. Satan gained control and sin, death, Satan and death passed on every person. That's generational in a larger sense. But Exodus 24 and 5 is talking about generational in a very specific sense, in a family context. If there is somebody who worships a false god, or serves a false god, obviously that opens the door for sin, Satan, and death, and the impact of that passes on to four generations. What kind of impact does that have? If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, Verses 25 and 26, God says, You shall burn the carved images of their gods with fire. You shall not covet the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be snared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. Now shall you bring an abomination to your house, lest you be doomed to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest it, or utterly abhor it, for it is an accursed thing. So two things. That worship, the worship of false gods brings a snare. You'll be snared by it. And the worship of false gods brings a curse. You'll be cursed with it. And that snare, trap, that curse goes on to four generations. Are you understand? That's what people refer to as a generational curse. That means something somebody did opened the door and that's passing on to four generations. The question is, as believers, do we need to be concerned? Let me ask you this question. Adam sinned. The entire human race was put in subjection to sin, Satan, and death. You're part of Adam's race. There's a generational thing going on here. But do you believe that the cross of Jesus Christ set you free from that? Yes or no? Yes. So, bring it a little closer home. Let's say, your grandfather, great-grandfather sins. He may have opened the door. So, the snare and the curse of that passes on. Do you believe the cross of Jesus Christ has dealt with that? Yes or no? Yes. 
So whether it's your grandfather's sin or Adam's sin, they're all dealt with the cross, dealt by the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? You're not convinced. It's all dealt with the cross of Jesus Christ. Yes, one seems a little bit more personal because you didn't see Adam. You may have seen your grandfather. So one seems a little closer home. And so we get so alarmed by this. But it's no different from Adam's sin. It was all dealt with at the cross of Jesus Christ. The same blood that redeemed you and me from Adam's sin also redeemed you and me from any of your forefathers' sins. It's the same blood. And it's already been done. So you and I as believers don't need to fear. Oh, there's some generational curse, Pastor, pray for me. Look, it's not my prayer that's going to change it. It was dealt for with at the cross of Jesus you need to look to the cross the same way you look to the cross to be set free from what Adam did. You look to the cross to be set free from what anybody else did. Are you understanding? It's the same cross. It's the same blood. And it was already done. The only thing the enemy can do is to use our ignorance against us. Our ignorance is the enemy's tool. He uses it against us. If I'm ignorant that the power of sin, example, that the power of sin was broken on the cross and I don't need to be a servant of sin, I will, you know, if I'm ignorant of that truth, then I will still be in bondage to sin. The devil will use that ignorance. But the moment I know that Jesus Christ broke the power of sin and sin shall not have dominion over me, I can say no sin will control me. I am living free from sin. I'm, I'm living free from the dominion of sin. I am walking free because I know the truth and I stand my ground. And the same thing when it comes to generational curse. So it does not matter who in your ancestry did what. For one thing, you're not going to know. You're not around. And they didn't write it down for you. So there's no way of knowing it. And it really doesn't matter. It's not whether you know about it or not. It's about whether you know the truth. Whether you know that Jesus Christ and his blood has redeemed you from everything that whoever has done it, whether it's Adam or any of your ancestors, it doesn't matter. You are a redeemed, blood-bought, blood-washed, sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled, set-apart son or a daughter of God. That's who you are. And the devil has no right over you. He has no claim on your life. He has no access to you unless you give it to him. That's who you are. You are a child of God. Amen? Worship team, please come. I'll close with... You know, pointing to this verse in First Peter chapter one, verses eighteen and nineteen, the apostle Peter is speaking to the Jews who had been dispersed across uh, that region, and this is what he says. He says, "Knowing that you were redeemed, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish." and without spot. So he's writing to the Jews. They have a context. They have this aimless, vain tradition, a vain way of life that's been handed down to them from their forefathers. This is how you got to live. These, this is, these are things you're in bondage to. And it was such a big yoke on them. And Peter says, you've been redeemed from that by the blood of Jesus. That was their context. Your context and mine is slightly different. We may have other things that have been handed down to us from our forefathers, but whatever that you receive, you are redeemed from it. It doesn't matter what it is. If the blood of Jesus could set the Jews free from things that were handed down to them, the blood of Jesus Christ sets you free from things that were handed down to you. 
Amen? So, you stand your ground. Example. If you're, I'm just making this example, it's not personal. If your grandfather was a drunkard, and your father was drunkard times two, don't say, I have to be drunkard times three. No, no, no. You are redeemed. That pattern, that behavior, that lifestyle is broken. It's not part of you. The blood of Jesus Christ has redeemed you from whatever vain manner of life that was handed down. You're free. I just use drunken, drunkenness as one example, but it could deal with anything else. It could be anger. It could be some something hereditary that's passed on from generation to generation, but that's physical, emotional, experiential. You are redeemed from it. It does not have to happen in your life. You can say, well, I can look back five generations. Every one of them experienced this. Well, it stops with you. Because the blood of Jesus Christ has redeemed you from that. It doesn't have to happen in your life. You stand your ground. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You say, such and such a thing, it may have happened for three generations in a row before me, but it will not happen in my life. I am redeemed. The blood of Jesus has redeemed me. Amen? They may have opened the door to sin. They may have sinned. We have no control over it. But what we have is the redeeming power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we can walk in it. We don't have to be submitted or subject to whatever has happened in generations before us. Let's rise to our feet, please. This morning, we mentioned three ways that are important to receiving divine healing. One is to release forgiveness. Receive, release forgiveness. And while we presented this in the context of divine healing, it could apply to anything else in life. As in the case of Job, when he prayed for his friends, I mean, try to think of it. He prayed for three friends who were accusing him. They ganged up against him. But he prayed for them. And when he prayed for them, the Bible says that God restored everything he lost and gave him twice as much as he had. Powerful. If people are doing you wrong, one of the best things you can do for yourself is forgive them and pray for them. Just pray a blessing on them. You may not feel like it. You may not be shouting up and down about it, but just do it. Say, God, help me just to pray. Bless them. It's going to put you in a place where you can receive God, God's work in your life. If you've been hurt emotionally, and I, I don't mean to say this lightly, but some of us, you know, I understand some of us have gone through some really, really difficult things in life. Been abused by a family member, ill treated, betrayed, hurt by words that were spoken. And it damages us on the inside. But there's a God in heaven who heals the brokenhearted. Only he can reach in the depths of our soul and heal us. And when you receive healing there, it can change everything in your life. And lastly, don't fear any generational thing 
Maybe you look back in your family tree and you say, hey, these kinds of problems have been going on for so many generations. Am I next in line? The answer is no, not you. Not you. The blood of Jesus Christ has set you free. Doesn't matter how many generations have suffered that. It doesn't have to happen to you. You are a believer. You stand your ground in what Christ has done for you. You stand firm. We'll take a few moments just to worship and pray and expect the Lord to do something beautiful, wonderful in your life this morning. Just welcome Him. Let's sing.
together Father I pray in the name of Jesus that your healing power your healing word should flow God to every person present here in this auditorium those watching online wherever they are God even as we deal with these issues of unforgiveness or bitterness that these things be taken out of our lives help us to release forgiveness speak a speak a blessing God on those who may have wronged us to keep our hearts pure to keep our hearts clean and father even as we do that I pray in the name of Jesus that healing will manifest in our physical bodies in our minds in our emotions that we will see the work of God take place in our life circumstances father I pray that those who've been hurt inside will experience your work of healing God releasing them from every hurt and pain and bitterness and the brokenness and let there be healing manifest in their bodies and the work of God take place in life situations let things turn around father in their life situations and in the name of Jesus we declare that as God's people nothing from our ancestors nothing from previous generations the evil the sin the snare or the curse none of that will touch our lives because we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus we stand as people who've been redeemed by the blood and we declare that nothing from our ancestors no evil will befall our lives we are redeemed we stand redeemed every door is shut to the enemy Satan has no access in our lives in the name of Jesus and father we pray that each one of us will show forth your praises will show forth your glory wherever you've placed us whatever you've called us to do be glorified through our lives and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God our Heavenly Father and the sweet fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with each of us always in Jesus name everyone said amen thank you for listening we trust this message was a blessing to you for more free resources, including sermons, sermon notes, and books, please visit apcwo.org. For information on APC Bible College in Bangalore, visit apcbiblecollege.org. Do remember to download the All People's Church Bangalore app from the Apple or Google Play Store.